To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. to the death panel patrons thank you so much for supporting the show we couldn't do any of this without you if you'd like to help us out a little bit more share the show with your friends post about your favorite episodes pick up a copy of health communism at your local bookstore pre-order a copy of jules's new book coming at the end of january from verso called a short history of trans misogyny or request them both at your local library and follow us at death panel underscore today i am here with my co-hosts Artie Vierkant. Hello. And Phil Rocco. Hey. And today we're doing something a little different than normal. Usually when we talk about a book on this show, it's an author interview or we're recommending something. We're talking about a book that we like. This is not that. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, not so subtle description. Yeah. I mean, understatement, but I'm trying to be fair here. Um <laughs> So instead today, uh, we're looking at a book written by two economists who claim to have surveyed the U.S. healthcare landscape and come up with a, quote, sensible and prudent, um, in their words, quote unquote, solution to the problem of universal healthcare. It's myopic. It's a bad book. It entirely misses the forest for the trees on healthcare. And so we're dedicating this episode to basically why this particular cul-de-sac is absolutely not one that the U.S. should pursue. Um, the book is called We've Got You Covered, Rebooting American Healthcare by Laron oh, Anav and Amy Finkelstein. Um, and Artie, Phil, and I all read it over the holidays so that you don't have to. Yeah. Um, so just to start, this is, I think it's safe to say, one of the worst books I've ever read. <laughs> Um, just like tell us how you really feel i'm gonna i'm gonna get into more substantial critiques in a minute and i know that we're gonna whatever we're gonna be mean about this but um i just you know i want to first i think before we get into it too deep just explain what it's about um and sort of what the book is like and i think i can summarize my thoughts on the entire book with a single note that i wrote in the margins of one page um that note reads what utter poverty of vision what a waste of time (laughs) um And I don't mean a waste of time uh, for us to talk about. I mean, a waste of time for them to write. But so before I explain their big idea just at the top, uh, I want to explain what I think this book is. So who Mm. is this book for? Right. This is a book by two mediocre economists who are nevertheless impeccably credentialed. Uh, (laughs) One became a MacArthur Fellow, better known colloquially as uh, receiving the Genius Grant in 2018, which uh, not only every bit of press about the book, but the book jacket itself is extremely sure to mention. I would also be remiss to not mention that the book is blurbed by not one, but two show favorites, Emily Oster and Matt Iglesias. 
In the acknowledgments, the authors thank Emily Oster for introducing them to their literary agent. So we actually do, I think, have Oster to thank for this book even existing. I'd also like to accept thanks uh, from them for uh, birthing this book from the the brain, the the fever nightmares of uh, of Death Panel uh, to to bring it all together. So you know what? You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, the book is, I think it's safe to say, aimed at a general audience of the type of libs who think that the healthcare debates around the 2020 election primary cycle went too far, mm. um, but who nevertheless believe in some sense that in the long run, the U.S. should eventually get to something called universal healthcare, whatever that means. That's a good, um, that's a good way to put it. It's, I think, aimed at the class of people who aren't particularly troubled by capitalism because it works relatively well for them. Uh, so, you know, why would they want to upturn the apple cart and do something <laughs> like, I don't know, make private insurance companies illegal? Um, to these people, the book offers a very weird proposition um, that we can and absolutely should institute some form of universal healthcare, but it should suck. As in, we should fully reform the U.S. healthcare system to offer a basic degree of healthcare coverage, but that that universal coverage should be intentionally really bad and full of holes. And I'm not joking. Um, I'll explain more in a second. But literally, they're saying we should do this. You know, what if what if we just made a universal healthcare program and it was just bad? Um, and then private insurance could still exist and it would just pay for all the stuff that the universal coverage omitted. Right. Meanwhile, along the way, uh, they specifically deride, I think, in uh, in a interview on the radio program Marketplace, for example, co-author Amy Finkelstein derided specifically ideas like Medicare for all or single payer as nothing more than a quote unquote vacuous slogan. So <laughs> that's where they're coming from. In, in any case, here is the tidiest summary I think I can muster for what their argument is. And I'm going to bring in some quotes here from sort of throughout the book. Uh, again, their proposition begins as follows. They set up that uh, the U.S. system of healthcare and health insurance is so poorly designed that, in fact, it is better to say it was not designed at all, which is true. Instead, the system we have now is an accumulation of over a century of quick fixes and poorly considered schemes to plug various holes. This is what we deride often on the show as incrementalism, and they are also, interestingly, um, against incrementalism, at least in name here. They say the current system leaves too many people out, is a pain to use, and causes too many people to accrue tons and tons of medical debt that they can never hope to repay, uh, which is true. And the only way forward is to rip up the whole thing and replace it with something new. Incrementalism won't work. So that part of the assessment is generally correct, I would say. But that is the end of the parts we can agree on, <laughs> would you guys say? Mm, yeah, yeah, there's it's I mean, this is the, the, the classic thing with a book that I hate <laughs> is that it is what makes it more frustrating to read is that it, there will be truths sort of sprinkled throughout it. Things that yes. are like mildly or moderately agreeable throughout it, which is, of course, you know, way worse than a book that's just like absolute nonsense and trash. They even sort of go after the kind of sacred cows of of health economists in ways that were like for a paragraph, like, oh, yeah, satisfying. Right. This is the thing is that like any sentence or paragraph is going to pale in comparison to the, you know, exactly what the book as a whole is doing. And on that score, as will be revealed, this is a a window into a very specific understanding of exactly what like elite policy analysis should be about and should do, because I don't really think that this is a general audience. I don't think this book is is, is pitched at a general audience really at all. Uh, so much as it is pitched as a 
blueprint for how, you know, the Democratic presidential candidates in 2024 mm-hmm. will talk about health care. So or 2028 you know, like, even. Or 2028, yeah. yeah uh, we'll talk about health care. And, uh, you know, stay tuned to see, you know, if we're right about that. But I can almost guarantee you that we will be. Exactly. Which is one of the reasons we wanted to talk about this, because uh, we should spike this really hard very quick. Mm-hmm. Like this, this is not uh, something you should go forward. So in any case, uh, again, that's those are the sort of um, parts of the diagnosis, if you will, uh, that we can agree with all the stuff about how, yes, it's bad. And, you know, again, I think it's refreshing that they at least say incrementalism won't work. We do need to restart. We, we need to reform the whole system. The problem is what they then propose uh, to how for with yeah. how to reform the whole system. So well, in some ways, actually, like the the setup of the problem, having enough pin to reality, right, that even is something that we can categorically agree on with them is kind of part of what makes this book a little insidious in the argument, too. Yeah, absolutely. So from here, it gets weird. Um, <laughs> they propose yeah. that the U.S. health insurance system be reformed in such a way that instead of the patchwork of programs we have now, uh, we end up with a single baseline level of health insurance coverage that everyone is automatically enrolled in. Um, every citizen, quote unquote, I think, um, is the loud subtext of this. Remarkably, they do not mention residents of the U.S. or non-citizens at all a single time in this book, um, <laughs> which I think is usually a pretty good tell. Anyway, this program should be, as is hammered home a million times in this very short book, basic. Quote, we'll emphasize that all medical care included in basic coverage must be provided to patients for free, but we'll also insist that basic coverage should be just that, basic. It must cover the medical services that are essential to restoring or maintaining basic human functions. Already we have a big question there. Uh, uh-oh, what is, how do we define basic human function? But anyway, they continue, quote, But that's where our commitments end and our choices begin. Ugh. There is a lot of medical care that is desirable but not essential and can be left out of basic coverage. The same goes for non-medical aspects of care, the ability to see the doctor of your choice at your preferred timing and location, for example, or semi-private hospital rooms. Um, So why keep things basic? What is their reasoning here? Well, they say, quote, keeping basic coverage basic will keep the cost to the taxpayer down. Yet another. Yeah. Yet another key element for controlling government healthcare spending will be a budget for publicly funded healthcare. I I assume we'll talk about this uh, later. Remarkably and absurdly, the U.S. government has never actually had a healthcare budget that caps the amount the government can spend on medical care. This has to change. Um, Unquote. So they say it'll only cover so many things. Um, They're not very clear about what those things are. In fact, they uh, tend to shy away from being specific about much of anything in this book, including what it would be covered and also what are the categories of care that they think can be uh, left out. Although they do give a couple of very vague proclamations about what kind of quote unquote difficult decisions about what is covered and what isn't like how those could play out. So um, one of those highly suspect suggestions comes in the following. They say, quote, there are many aspects of medical care that can be excluded from basic coverage while still fulfilling our social contract, infertility treatment, dental care, vision care, physiotherapy, various forms of long term care. And the list goes on and on. We won't take a stand here on what in this gray area should be excluded from basic coverage. These are hard choices, unquote. Going on to say 
that what is covered will have to do with social norms and technological developments. Quote, standards for what is essential to achieving normal function, again, this idea, normal human function, will change over time as medical technology grows and income improves, unquote. So, you know, they say a couple times in this in this book, they're not interested in addressing quote unquote hot button issues. I think that means it's safe to say that for them, the hot button <laughs> stuff like abortion and trans healthcare is like obviously on the chopping block. Uh, they're too cowardly to name it, clearly. So, you know. Also, to just jump in here, uh, we'll get to this later, but the phrase normal species functioning has like a very <laughs> significant relationship to actual different models of like understanding um, certain types of disability supports and has mm-hmm. a legal meaning, which the authors seem um, ignorant of at best. Because one of the things that's really interesting, and we can talk about this later, is that they're invoking this as if it is... Um, you know, a common sense meaning of the term. They're not invoking the very specific, like normal species functioning model that is a whole way of thinking about accommodations and how to determine if someone's disabled and, for example, needs home and community-based long-term care, uh, personal assistance services. Again, explicitly on the chopping block long-term exactly, care. Which are, you know, not, this is not a part of their vision. And yet the funny thing is that they're using this very specific term that essentially refers to a type of like functioning that actually doesn't include accommodations, right? Mm-hmm. So like if I could read Braille as a blind person, right, my my normal species functioning level of like reading comprehension would be that I can't read. And then there's another way of understanding it, which is like the alternative mode of functioning. And that would be if I could read Braille. And so they're actually even talking about, you know, this very specific legal definition that's used in ADA cases to determine certain types of accommodation eligibility. And I think this is partially the problem with health economists and economists writing basically airport politics books. Well, let me, but you know, if I could pull back, I think also for a second is like, okay, what they've told you thus far is our you know, proposal here, and for reasons we'll get into why they make this argument in a second, is that, you know, we should have something uh, universal. It should be a radical departure from what currently exists, but it should be really basic and, you know, not covering a lot of things. And then the natural next step in the policy analysis, right, when you're proposing something even the most basic thing that you would want to be modeled out is, okay, then which of those basic things uh, are included and which are excluded, right? And they basically at this point say, well, you know, primary care, uh, some outpatient hospital, uh, some inpatient, you know, some very basic services, and then everything else on the table. Here are some things that are like not uh, talked about at all. They oh, mention yeah. they mention the words long term care, I think, in the context of the book itself, not in the footnotes, which is, you know, duplicative. <laughs> I think they mention long term care twice in passing, mm. uh, you know, at, at a point in time where something like 70 percent of Americans are going to need long term care. They're not going to be able to pay for it. We have a huge care worker like shortage um, in the United States, all kinds of home and community-based service waiting lists are uh, have, have been maxed out to an absurd level. Um, but all of these things are not described. You know, it, none, none of this is sort of characterized as you know part of the problem that we might want to solve, how we would deal with it, and so on. Similarly, the the concept of prescription drugs is mentioned 
I again, I think a few times in passing, not at all clear how this, you know, how a you know a basic package, what would it include? Well, this is the point is that when you are making a really kind of like bold proposal and you're saying like, okay, I think we need to like go um you know, go in a very different direction with what universalism means. And then you say, oh, yeah, what is universalism? I don't know. We'll let people fight that out. I'm not exactly sure at what point you are at that point, like doing policy analysis or setting up a future in which you can be cited as the author of virtually any health policy proposal that emerges <laughs> because no one can quite pin it down because you haven't taken, you actually haven't done the main thing that policy analysts, you know, demand of themselves, which is to quote, confront the trade-offs. You have created a, 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 a proposal in which you haven't confronted those trade-offs um, at all, or the way that you've confronted them as we'll get to, is actually purely about the politics of the thing and not about what the ramifications are going to be for, I don't know, the health of millions of Americans. Yeah, well, and this actually, before I kind of complete my uh, setup of the argument, I guess I will say that what both of you have said reflects, I think, one of the biggest takeaways that I had from the book in general, which is that to me, this proposal and especially this lack of detail or lack of sort of imagination for what actually uh you know if you're going to go so far as to say we're going to rethink and like you know remake the entire healthcare system what exactly you're doing that towards and their assessment and their kind of vision for it is one where basically there is no imagination for the needs of anyone who is a disabled, sick, chronically ill or mad person who is not also extremely wealthy. And just fundamentally that I think any, even if this was a more generous, you know, somewhat more generous proposal or whatever, right? Just that alone, I think any health policy that does not consider that, that then claims to be quote unquote universal health care or you know, any number of these other euphemisms, right, or catch-alls, which can mean a variety of things, any proposal like that is just not worth pursuing and is fundamentally invalid, basically. Mm -hmm. um, in any case, we'll probably return to that more in a little bit, but I'm almost through with the kind of end of the setup portion. They talk a lot about the reasons, various reasons. We've already heard one um, that uh, the bait that quote unquote, basic coverage should be basic. One, as we heard, was keeping taxpayer costs down. So we have taxpayer myth as a really big part of this book. They add that restrictions on coverage for the basic plan should also include a pretty severe gatekeeping role in terms of people's actual ability to access covered care, to keep people from using you know too much care lest they become malingerers. They say of this, quote, it will be important for basic coverage to also play a type of quote unquote gatekeeping role if it is to remain basic. Such hoops are designed to prevent your cousin who used WebMD to diagnose herself with brain cancer <sighs> after a night of drinking and an early morning headache um, from getting a costly MRI right away, unquote. Um, so, you know, as usual, the argument against providing all care for all people is we need to prevent the idea that uh, people are going to be taking recreational I mean, chemotherapy or something well right and it's like to hear the full episode become a patron at patreon.com slash death panel pod
you'll get access to this and the rest of our catalog of patron only episodes and be the first to get a new patron episode every monday when it drops with love the death panel